is up everybody welcome to take 15 of the take it on pod the mental health podcast for young men i'm jonah jacobs here with reed milkins and today we are joined by a super special guest we have dr drew ramsey an assistant clinical professor of psychiatry at columbia university college of physicians and surgeons he's the author of four books including his most recent eats to beat depression and anxiety and his work has been featured in the New York Times, Wall Street Journal, and NPR, just to name a few publications. Dr. Ramsey, welcome to the show. Thanks so much. It's great to be here with you guys. Welcome to everybody listening. It's uh, exciting to be on a podcast focused on young men and mental health. That just seems awesome to me. Awesome. We, we really appreciate it. And we appreciate your you as a role model in this in this community for us. Um, so Dr. Ramsey, would you mind sharing uh, some background on yourself and really your journey to become what is a new term to me, a nutritional psychiatrist? Yeah, well, sure. Well, hey, everybody. I mean, that just, I'm a psychiatrist that likes to talk about some simple things that we can do in our everyday lives, like food, um, along with all the other stuff I get to talk about. Um, <clears throat> I got really interested in mental health for, for a lot of different reasons. Um, maybe this is a good audience to share it. I mean, one was just, I guess my own creativity and kind of curiosity and just this intrigue being a physician, like when you meet people who are really struggling with their mental health, this idea that I could train my mind to, to help them and that that would be the main tool um, uh, that, that just really intrigued me. Like, how do you do that? And how does that work? Um, and I'd always been interested in, in science. And so in some ways, psychiatry and mental health is kind of a, a loose field, um, although we have lots, lots more evidence than we ever have before. And, and it's just been a really interesting journey. I've been in practice now for, I guess, almost 17, 18 years um, in, in private practice, as well as uh, working and doing some teaching at Columbia. Mostly I've been based in New York, but I have this, I'm from Indiana and I've had this kind of, I don't know what felt for a while until there was a food movement, like this weird dual identity where I'm like a New York psychiatrist, but like, I uh, like digging in the dirt and driving tractors occasionally and you know it's like uh so it's cool the food movement came along because suddenly it went from like you're a redneck to like oh wow like you know how to grow stuff um and i'm not a huge farmer by any means compared to a lot of our, our neighbors and, and my colleagues um but so it, it's um it's been really interesting that combining these two i don't know parts of my background my interest in mental health and science and medicine and then this this kind of interest in food when i was your guys's age i was a low-fat vegetarian i was at earlham college i was like a, a two three sport athlete i was super interested in just being really fit and everybody's saying like don't eat any meat don't eat any fat don't eat cholesterol and i i just man i just gobbled that idea up i was eating snack well cookies and veggie burgers <laughs> and and not, not, I would say not doing very well in my mental health. I mean, I, you know, I don't like being one of those folks who's like, well, this happened to me. So it proves my theory, but I think the, the overall notion I, I do have is that I wasn't eating in a way that the research or the science suggests really is best for the human frame and for the human mind. And I don't think it's any accident. I really started just struggling more with uh, a sense of who I was, what I was doing, my mood regulation. Um, so yeah. Uh, all of that led me to a lot of work on my mental health. I've been in psychotherapy and psychoanalysis pretty much since I was in medical school and, um, and really paying attention to my diet. Um, sitting here, sipping my kombucha, uh, my <laughs> trying to get my six fermented foods a day. And, uh, it was late to start recording. Cause I'm trying to make myself like a quick 
veggie broth soup that I like that has like this one is I'm just starting to experience. I bought a bunch of broths and usually because if I'm busy, I'll just see patients and I just sit here. You don't really burn calories and it's easy just to have like some nuts or, you know, but I want something. So got some greens and mushrooms and sprouts in there. So um, I feel like I've gotten derailed on my journey. My journey led me here to this moment with you guys. And uh, during the pandemic, really then started talking a lot about male mental health. I'm a man. I treat lots of men. I think male mental health is totally misperceived and misunderstood. And it's a really exciting moment right now just to think about what is modern masculinity? How can we do manhood and masculinity better? Like, what is it even? And, and particularly mental health. I was just talking to a, a patient earlier today who has a young baby and, it, you know, and was pointing out all of the, you know, important time and attention spent focused on his wife's mental health, but he's been around healthcare professionals for, you know, the whole pregnancy and the whole, and, no one's ever asked him about his mental health. And, and wow. we know from the data that men struggle with perinatal depression, not in any way to diminish this, uh, diminish you know, the, the women's health aspect of that. It's just to note, every major medical center in America has a women's mental health center. And there's zero male mental health centers, zero. I think there's one in the UK, but there is zero in the US. And when you think like, what is male health? It's like, <clears throat> we make sure I don't go bald and my penis gets hard for my entire life. <laughs> like, <laughs> Like in that, and that just yeah. kind of feels like, I don't know, I, wow. I've, you know, all that stuff works for me still, thank goodness, knock on wood. But like the idea that like, that's, you know, when this starts to thin or when I naturally, you know, have some of the consequences of aging that happen with, I, I don't know, it's just like, so I'm not a man anymore. So I think there's a, I'm just excited about the conversation and uh, to, to see more men interested in deeper self-exploration and understanding. Definitely. So when our listeners out there who maybe aren't so familiar with your book, Eat to Beat Depression and Anxiety, uh, could you give a quick minute or two of a summary? Uh, sure. Mine right here too. Little look, at this, look at this. That's really, that's a generous question to an author. So everybody's nutritional psychiatry, just how do you think about nutrition, not through the lens necessarily of like heart disease or animal rights or a lot of the ways that people are thinking about, it. those are all valid, but how do you think about just raw straight up mental health what's the data on depression and anxiety say and what would we then eat and this is really what i've been thinking about with my team in the brain food clinic for i don't know the past decade at least my first book the happiness diet came out in 2011 so i guess a decade ago this book goes over new science so my my third book eat complete was a recipe book really fun book lots of great recipes but at that point, man, I was neurotic because I've been writing about this stuff forever and there was not a single randomized controlled trial about food to treat mental. And, you know, it's just like, if you don't have that in medicine, you're, it's tough, right? You really don't have the gold standard of evidence. So for this book, there have been now five randomized trials using food to intervene primarily with depression and, and some new concepts. We just weren't thinking and talking. You know, I was talking about the microbiome and inflammation 10, 15 years ago. And when I trained at Columbia, one of the top psychiatric training places, one of the top treatment centers in the world, right? We weren't talking about inflammation in the microbiome, right? But now I talk to my colleagues there and it's incredible research, right? Linking up inflammation, the microbiome, mental, very specific mental health symptoms and markers of inflammation now. So the book explains some of that in a really, you know, no pun intended, digestible way of trying to, you know, it's that farm boy me, right? I'm happy to hear about all the science, but I want to know a great microbiome. It's cool. Like what, what, what should I eat or drink differently? What do I do differently? You know, how should this science impact my everyday life? So the book then ends with a six-week plan. Really, the first part of that is asking people to look at themselves as an eater. Uh, it's called Eater Heal Thyself. 
which is really trying to say like, we've really been given some very twisted notions of what is nutrition, of, of, of what is evidence, um, a lot of fear mongering, right? The number of things that have gone down, like, lectins, kale, like there's nothing that's safe to eat anymore. Right? And I think that's very intentional because it leads to a scared population that looks to health marketing and buys processed foods in general, because processed foods you can always label as safe. An apple, oh, hey, where'd that come from? Does it have pesticides on it? You know, it's got sugar in it. It's gonna give, right? I mean, you can really, people have a sense of nutrition has been messed with. So anyway, just, so the book ends in nutritional psychiatry, we think in food categories. So as I take an assessment of you and I think about you as an eater, I'm thinking, you know, are you guys eating leafy greens? Are you eating seafood? Are you eating rainbow vegetables? And kind of treating those in, in, in somewhat separate categories to really help goal setting and, um, and actualization, right? If you don't eat any seafood, we want to get into the weeds. Like, why not? Like, what's that about? You, you, does it taste gross? Do you have an experience with it? Which is what it is for most of us. Um, are there things that we could try and kind of make some nudges and then the science behind why that is. Right? The seafood is where we find long chains omega-3 fats. That's the most important fat in your brain by far. You make a little bit from plants, but not probably enough for optimal mental health and brain health. So that's how the book works. And the recipes, the really tasty recipes. Love like the recipes. That, like that pesto was great. Yeah. Pesto like, that's it. like my sleeper move. It's like, you just prescribe that. And people are like, I do feel better. I'm like, pesto is amazing. And it's, I think just one of those good examples, right? When people, I say leafy greens, people are like, ah, oh, bro, I've been eating. So like, I eat sweet grains all the time. They're like, all right. You know, like salads are great, but I, I, I'm okay with salads, but that's not where I'm going to get most of my leafy greens. Honestly, I get a lot like in, in my soups or do a lot of sauteed greens, a lot of greens in my pastas. So yeah, I love a good salad, but it's not really the only way. And then pesto is one, one of the best ways to get just like a ton of greens. So yeah, if, you, if you're looking for some fun recipes that really are, are designed around getting the most of these uh, 12 antidepressant nutrients that we uh, identified in the literature is really having the most impact for depression. Um, yeah, thanks for mentioning the book. I hope folks will check it out. Yeah, of course. I mean, Dr. Ramsey, this is super, super fascinating stuff. I mean, when I, when I read it, it was blowing my mind. Would you mind walking the, the audience through what it is about these food groups and the nutrients they possess that in a neurological way affects the brain and its impact on depressive and anxiety symptoms? Yeah, it's a, it's a really great question. And, and there are a couple of like different lenses for us to think about it. One is just maybe a simple idea, right? The, the, the basic ingredients of your brain are your food. And it's one of those things we don't really connect, but like when you're eating that omega-3 fat in the salmon, you uh, digest it, absorb it, transport it into the brain and put it in your neuronal membrane. Um, another, so your, your brain is made of your food. Another way then to think about how food influences brain health besides the construction are the dynamics of brain health. Are you eating foods that promote more inflammation, you know, through a variety of mechanisms, either, you know, you're eating foods that crowd out healthy foods. So you're missing some basic nutrients or you're eating foods that, you know, have things in them like trans fats that are, are known to be rather inflammatory. Um, and, and ultimately, the thought right now is that you have some influence on the dynamics of how your brain grows and repairs. So uh, if you know you kind of keep a clean house up there and feed the right nutrients, you have at least a better shot or your best shot 
of dealing with whatever genetic risks you're carrying. We all carry genetic risks. I've got genetic risks of Alzheimer's disease and depression and all kinds of things in my genetics. You know, I, I think one, one of the reasons I'm, I'm uh, staying reasonably okay is, is really through the lifestyle choices. And we think about it like our lifestyle choices are really how we play the cards that we've been dealt. And if you've ever played, I had a couple of friends in New York who are like hedge funders. It's very boring to play poker with them because it's like <laughs> three rounds and then all of the money is sitting in front of them. And they're like, yeah, no, I don't know how that happens. And it's just like, but you know, we all get dealt the same cards, right? It's random, but somehow they always play it better than I do. And that's kind of how I, th I think about nutritional psychiatry and my health, right? Can I play these cards really well, really enhance my quality of life, mental quality of life. I think where there's so much focus and buzz about longevity right now, which, you know, to be honest, like I'm, I'm not very excited about, I think it misses the point of why people are suffering today. People aren't suffering today because they don't live long enough. People are suffering today because they don't take care of their mental health. And we live in societies and structures that tend to really diminish our mental health and mental vibrancy. And, and that's what I think, you know, that's, that's the sort of exciting discovery in science right now. Uh, and, you know, I, pre I appreciate all the cool telomere mTOR stuff. I mean, it's cool science. I don't want to dismiss it. I just think whether you guys live until you're 85 or 95, you know, the most kind of creative, energetic, exciting years are ahead of you, the next 20, 30, 40 years. Like that, that's where they are. That's not going to be when you're 85 or 90. It'll be interesting. I'm looking forward to those. It's going to be interesting. But as I'm pushing 50, you know, you really see those, um, those moments. I realized that one of my kids' birthdays, it was like a second birthday or third birthday. I was like, you know, this is the only, only one of these. It doesn't happen again for you and this kid. Like there is no other. And it really kind of, I don't know, it puts it in perspective, right? Some pressure, I guess, for all of us, right? You got to really and do something with it. And that's very hard when you're feeling depressed or anxious, but I think it's also very motivating and orienting. I don't want to put you on the spot here if this hasn't been uh, much of a focal point in your studies, but our population of young men tend to engage in quite a bit of alcohol consumption um, as, as a social lubricant and both uh, for pleasure and, and whatever circumstances in college and post-college life. What kind of impact does that have on um, the mental health you see um, through what we put into our bodies. I read, I love you talking to me like a parent, like you were talking about beer. Like, all right, let's talk about what college <laughs> today, right? So there's a really strong poly substance use culture going on with young men and a strong binge drinking culture, right? So everything from, you know, what we kind of traditionally have seen and heard about like fraternity hazings and kind of fraternity culture with a lot of drinking, a lot of throwing up, a lot of hazing. You know, I think colleges and parents are in just profound denial about this. The amount of the stuff that I hear and see about is just, I don't know, it's, it's rampant. And then, you know, you're asking about the mental health impacts. It's really challenging. I mean, alcohol is just horrible for your mental health in all ways, period. There's no benefit. This idea like, oh, red wine's good for your health. It's such bullshit. <laughs> I mean, it's like there's one study that everyone looks like, oh, let's trot that study out again. Drink from wine. It's like- I've trotted it out for sure. You know, it's right. Everybody does. It's good for my heart. It's like, look, enjoying wine with friends, right? That's good for your heart. Like lowering your blood pressure, that's good for your heart. But alcohol is a central nervous depressant. Alcohol is a really wonderful way for, and since we're talking about men, for men in particular to numb our feelings. Alcohol is generally the way that men deal with the social anxiety of bonding. 
Um, and, and I think, you know, one of the most pernicious things about alcohol is how much it fucks up men in terms of their interpersonal relationships, you know, both from just the way that men tend to get sexual, uh, aggressive, um, and, and all kinds of other things when they drink, but just the kind of, I would say, tidal wave of lasting impact that has with how people perceive and experience men that it is going to last for our entire lifetime, no matter how good of a job we do. So. Um, I, I also think it's not just alcohol anymore. I mean, that's certainly the most common, but as con cannabis has gotten legalized and, you know, you guys are still kind of out of adolescence a few years ago. And so, you know, cannabis is reasonably low risk, except for adolescent and early adult populations where there's just a, a, a great, even though it's still a low risk, a great increased risk of uh, psychosis. And then I just talked to a lot of young men who are kind of, you know, they're drinking, they're puffing away. And, and, and some of that's college fun and, and, you know, and some of it is really avoiding, I would say some of that very normal kind of anxiety and even at times terror of being a young man in the world today and figuring out what you're going to do. Are you going to realize those dreams or not? Like, what are you going to do about that today? It's really, I think the twenties were by far the most challenging decade of my life. Maybe I'm going to change my opinion of that this year, but right now, <laughs> right now, I think that it, it because for whatever challenges I have, so much of my life is known. And all of the investments that, you know, seeds that I've really worked hard to plant and tend, you know, it's like, I, I can feel all wonky about where I am in the world, but I go downstairs, I see my family, you know, it's like, I don't know, it's as good as it gets for me. Or I, you know, I need some, I don't know, comfort, some TLC. Like I've worked really hard to have a strong relationship, strong marriage, wonderful, wonderful partner. So, um, uh, you know, I, I think that makes it, um, much easier later in life. But just to get back to your substance question, uh, yeah, I think it's, it's a, a rampant problem. Um, I, I've certainly, I didn't really drink very much until I, I moved to New York. So, certainly in college, I definitely did, you know, drank and all those college things that happen when you drink. But, uh, you know, it wasn't a big part. I didn't really drink hard alcohol. And then I moved to New York and, you know, New York is really a drinking culture. And I really um, started drinking more uh, than I ever had in my life. Uh, and, and, and probably got into that habit of the kind of, you know, regular, maybe even daily casual drinker, right? Go out to dinner, have a couple of glasses, go out, meet up with the guys, have a couple of beers, where it's pretty easy these days to, on a regular basis, you know, just be drinking a lot. And, uh, and so now, now I'm not drinking at all. And I find it, uh, you know, it, that also is challenging in its own ways of just, you know, what do you do? Like, what do you ask your girlfriends to do? Let's go have some, uh, <clears throat> gentlemen, let's go have some kombucha. Like I, I get teased. I like show up at parties with things of kombucha. Wow. And you're like, what's that? And I was like, you know, it's just what I'm drinking these days. But I, I appreciate the question. And I would just say there's a real balance, I think, between being young and excited and experimenting and exploring with alcohol and substances. I also think that that comes at a really extreme cost to young men today. The amount of involvement I see in stuff like fantasy football and drinking, and it just kind of like, some of it's great, right? Enjoy it, bond, but some of it just really doesn't yield very much for men. And um, yeah, boy, I sound like an old fuddy-duddy, but that's really how I increasingly feel, especially about male mental health. I just think it's... Um, you know, substances can be great fun. I don't want anybody to, you know, I, I've always enjoyed a drink and I've explored all kinds of different things in my life, but I, I think it has a time and a place. And I feel like that's really gotten lost. It's gotten lost during the pandemic because like people just kind of want to be fucked up because it's hard right now. Well, well said, Dr. Ramsey. I, I can relate to that in so many different dimensions. I mean, the inspiration for Take It On really came out of 
uh, when I moved down to the city in Chicago, I when graduating college, just started my first job. I have an apartment and uh, Reed, my brother, some other friends. We we have a great night by all guy fun standards, as as you sort of just described. And despite having so much fun, we I wake up, Reed and I wake up the next morning and are just like almost like like a kind of apathetic and just kind of upset. We're not where we want to be, and we're not feeling the way we should be. As you know, we're determined to isolate and figure out the sort of behaviors and values we wanted to embody to become the the best versions of ourselves. And just the more life I live, I I agree. It's it's almost it's very hard to intertwine regular drinking with that in a healthy and sustainable way. And especially when you mentioned, uh, I, I kind of noticed that dynamic as it relates to, to COVID. As soon as I went home, and I think a lot of, a lot of young men, I think a lot of people in general experienced that when normal life kind of came to a abrupt halt and you weren't engaged, like college people were not engaging in their regular drinking or substance abuse, it it forces you to confront some really difficult things. You've been kind of numbing like purpose, who you want to be, who you want to surround yourself with, what values you uphold in life. And I, for me, at least during that experience, that was when I really leaned into some, some positive, positive values, like my, my family and, and my faith and just like really made me think a lot more about life and having just challenging inner dialogues with myself. So I, I appreciate that perspective and your, your advice on, you know, an esteemed practitioner in your field about it. Well, thank, I appreciate you sharing all that. I mean, I think, it, I think it's hard choices and I think it's tough. We talk a lot of, uh, about balance, right? Work-life balance and how do you like be a fun guy and have fun and still party, but also like, you know, not be avoidant. And, and I think that's a really, it's a hard balance to strike these days. I think it's, um, you know, there's just, there've been a couple of massive disruptions all at once from COVID to the Me Too movement to um, thinking about racial dynamics vis-a-vis, -vis, you know, uh, George Floyd and all, all of the other deaths happening. So uh, it, it really, it, as I think forcing men to take a, I hope a lot of men take a step back and just consider their involvement in all of this. What is the involvement of your attitudes in the perpetuation of misogyny and the patriarchy? Because if you're not paying attention to it, you're probably perpetuating it, right? Like, what, what is your involvement? You know, there were three white men talking here. What's our involvement in perpetuating racism in America? It just, it really comes down, at least for me, um, is thinking about my personal actions. And am, as you said, am I contributing to the values and ideals that I hope, that I hope to, right? Or, or not. And um, some way psychiatry kind of and mental health sort of comes down to that. At the end of the day, you know, we, we have control over a limited number of things in our lives. And are we showing up and doing the best we can um, uh, with those? I do, since we're talking about substances, this is like a pet peeve of mine because it just comes up. The other thing that I see, and I think it bothers me because probably some Adderall that I prescribe occasionally gets snorted. Um, I, I hope not, but I would be naive to think not think that. It, it, is the way that polysubstance, so the way people are mixing drugs in a way that I just think is, one, I don't understand exactly. Okay, mixing Xanax and alcohol, you get really, really gone, but you also black out, right? So you don't know what you do. And then you live with just crippling anxiety, wondering about that, right? That's just, uh, or people combining, you know, stuff just shouldn't be combined, opioids and ketamine, right? Or, or, or using opioids recreationally just to try and, I don't know, not destigmatize that, but like, and not having Narcan in the house, 
heard of so many parties where somebody shows up with some oxys, right? And there's no, it, like someone's going to die. It's not a question of, of if, it's just when. And so I would just really encourage anybody listening, when you see that behavior, fuck, step up. And I know it's so hard to do, but at least protect the people that you know and just step up. Again, not that people can experiment and explore, but I just don't think it's being done safely anymore where people are blowing the lines of God knows what. And you know, in New York, the amount of fentanyl that ended up in the cocaine supply, just people are going out thinking they're gonna have a little party time, go to their frat party. And you know, around the, around the country, young, young men and women are just dying. Uh, and it's once in my practice a couple of years ago, in a span of four days, I heard about four overdose, uh, overdose deaths in, in you know, prominent colleges, all from different you know, kind of other moms or, or, or folks that I treat. And it just, anyway, sorry to be a uh, downer note there, but I just wanted to take an opportunity for everybody listening just to, just to point out, you know, it, yeah, binge drinking is a, a challenge. Yes, there are risks with all substances, but there's something that changed. And, and it's really, it's just really, it, it's not a party. It's not, I've been to lots of great parties. It's not a party. That's, that's just waiting for uh, one of your friends to die. No yeah, doubt. A- Do, we're doing a lot of uh, reading about that in my pharmacy literature class right now. Um, so it's definitely very scary, but I do want to backtrack a little bit towards something I heard you mention in uh, your Ted talk in Charleston. I watched on YouTube, you were discussing the Mediterranean diet and how it's not a fad diet. It's not something you have to uproot your life to, to take on. So what kind of balance does it take to effectively implement something like that into your life where it'll actually make a difference? Yeah, I think the, the biggest part of the balance is what people cut out. You know, you know we really focus at it backwards a little bit. We focus on what people should add in, kind of ideal foods, you know, like wild salmon, sardines, right? leafy greens, red beans, uh, rainbow veggies. Right? But, but if you look at the data, especially the SMILES trial, which was one of the better trials looking at food, what really... You know, people added, added in like a fish meal a week. They added in like a serving of fruits and vegetables. Um, they added in some nuts and some beans, like all great stuff. But the big, big number is they eliminated 21 highly processed food meals a week. So it just, I think that the balance, you know, for me, if, if you're eating a, I don't know, steak and potatoes, for a lot of people, that's a huge step in the right direction because you're moving from processed food to unprocessed food. So I think just look at your plate and, and try and keep it really simple for a little while. You know, not that you can't have a cake or a cookie or, or you know, any of the foods that most physicians would say don't have. It's more that trying to get the majority of your diet to be whole real foods. That kind of Mediterraneanizes it because it's a great question. I say this all the time. Like I'm from Indiana. You tell people to eat the Mediterranean diet and it's like pizza and pasta, right? Italian food. <laughs> It's like, right? It's not like feta cheese and, you know, like garbanzo beans and uh, spanakopita. So that's where I think taking these principles, simplifying them and translating them into your own everyday life is what's important. Things like simple things like my son's kind of a picky eater and and, and I hate protein powders, right? But right now in my life, I think I'm going to get a little more protein into the little man if I make him a super delicious banana cinnamon smoothie in the morning with a little bit of protein powder. And even though I don't really like that solution, it's just the one that right now I've kind of come to. Um, so, I, I, you know, I encourage everybody listening to, you know, we, we all start with assessment of just really sitting and thinking about yourself as an eater. You know, <clears throat> what are your typical breakfast, lunches, and dinners? What are your snacks? What are your favorite foods? 
what are your challenge foods, like where are you having a problem? And then to think about some of the food categories that are really what we call nutrient dense, right? They have more nutrients, more nutrition per calorie than other foods. And that's why we want you to fill your pl plates with those and, and you know, kind of where ones that are missing, like, um, you know, I'll just kind of take a cat, I'll just do a little tally in my head, right? How many fish meals have I had this week? How much red meat have I had this week? How many leafy greens? And so in terms of your question of balance, I really think it's more for me about just like, what steps have you guys taken today? Uh, because I think at the end of the day, um, we can tolerate a lot of processed foods. And one of the hard things about food is it's not like you, you know, it's not like psilocybin mushrooms where you have this massive experience and it changes <laughs> how you feel like today, right? You get a little of that, you get a healthy meal, you take care of yourself. A lot of people feel a little energized, but you know, you can go out and eat a bunch of Snickers today and you'll feel a little gross, but it's not like you're going to wreck your health in some way that you know. And that, that's where I think um, having clarity and intention uh, and consistency is just so important. It's kind of, almost works, you know, where a lot of people, I think, feel down and then go and, you know, carb load or, or, or eat a lot of foods they don't want to eat. For me, when I kind of feel down, I do almost the opposite. I think like, I really haven't nourished myself properly in some way, you know, not that I have a deficiency, but like, I need to take care of myself as the first signal, right? I know I'm going to feel better if I make myself a delicious bowl of soup or something simple, a couple scrambled eggs with some pesto on them, right? Just, um, our rainbows all look different, I guess. Our brain doesn't, goes all, doesn't all have to be the same. I'm glad you yeah. saw that talk. I felt silly in that talk. I was so charged up to try and say something. TED Talks are really hard. And you can only kind of say one thing in a TED Talk. And I always want to try and, <laughs> and I was I remember when I was first doing that talk, I was doing the writing and the run through of it. And I was like, yeah, I'm going to talk about like male mental health, about like nutritional psychiatry, and about like how mental health is a chain. And I'm like, yeah, you got like 12 minutes, bro. You, you <laughs> That was, uh, uh, but I did think there's something that needs to transform in, in that talk, this idea of us having more radical truth and honesty about our mental health. And, and, you know, the idea that a lot of how we think about mental health doesn't work. Like that statistic that everyone trots out, right? One in 20 people has a mental illness and that's supposed to really like make us have awareness of how prevalent it is. But I, I just think that it ends up being, while statistically true, very stigmatizing. Because while some people have a diagnosable mental illness right, and other people don't, I think everybody, especially these days, is really struggling with some aspects of their mental health that deserves attention. I like the idea of like 100% of us need to work on our mental health and our mental fitness. And like 100% of us, you know, really need to, if you've got a lot of mental health, that's something you need to be trying to pass on. You know, not obligated to, but it's nice. And if you need some mental health, it's something you got to work on. Yeah, I I love that advice. I think that was that was part of our mission too. Is that you might not have something clinically diagnosed, but your brain is the most important muscle in your body, and you need to feed it properly and train it properly to have the be the best version of yourself possible. Um, Doctor Ramsey, to just quickly add on to um, what you just mentioned, what are a couple just quick power hitter foods that some young men, either in college and high school that just graduated that are just eating a lot of dining oh, hall yeah. food or pizza. What, what are just some quick substitutions they can make to their, their snacking or their regular meals? Yeah. Here's some, some of my foods I love for, for all, all my young guys that I treat. So I like helping them start to snack on healthier stuff, swapping out the crunchy chips, Doritos, all that stuff. 
for healthier options, whether that's putting salsa and guac down when you get out your bag of chips or going over like blue corn chips or um, trying uh, to do just kind of healthier snacks. Like I love nuts, like raw unsalted nuts are great. Um, I feel like every young man in America just laughed when I said that. Uh, <laughs> but I, I think they're just, they're a good mix of slow carbs, fats, and proteins. And so that keeps you full. Um, they're also easy to stick in your backpack. I think just focusing on your fresh fruits and veggies, if you look at young men, the problem with young men is they tend to eat too much protein. They eat just a lot of meat and they, and they don't tend to eat a lot of plants. And then the last one I would really kind of focus on with the guys, nobody ever focuses on our microbiome health is eating live and fermented food. It's why I'm down in kombucha all the time. There's literally live bacteria travels, uh, you know, through the gut and it, lives in our colon. There's trillions of bacteria down there. And there's just a lot of data that eating more fermented foods is quite good for our immune system, but pretty good for our mental health too. Um, so, so those are some of the, you know, when I think about young men, the kind of high yields of how to snack healthier, how put in that probably also how to drink healthier, right? Like I see most guys drinking light beer and it's just, you know, it's like the empty calorie of the drinking world. And so if you're going to drink alcohol, I would encourage it to be like a little more nutrient dense, right? Either drink in a really intentional way um, or drink with more kind of like, uh, I don't know, uh, healthy things in there, whether it, it, it uh, and mix it up, right? That, that, that so often people are just, I don't know, when I think about the, like the number of racks that young guys in colleges <laughs> put down where it's just mindless beer after mindless beer, it's just, totally. you know, if you're, gonna, if you're gonna drink, enjoy your drinking a little bit, you know, like, especially I think it's like the rationale often is like, it's the cheapest shit. I'm like, oh, okay. It's like, cause your brain's the most expensive thing, right? You know, the universe made your brain. It's like the most like complicated thing that we know about. And you just got one, you didn't buy it, just dropped in your lap. So like, I don't know, don't put cheap stuff up there. Um, that's yeah. Uh, uh, and I would say um, the fermented foods and then the seafood. Young men just don't eat seafood. So lots of great ways to do that. I'd work your shrimp and salmon game first. I think the fish taco, shrimp tacos are the great entryway into those foods if you're not so new with them. And then, uh, you know, it's tough because a lot of people experience fishy fish because it's not the freshest or it's older. And I didn't eat fish till I was 30. I eat all kinds of fish now, but I just remember that. Like, I was just constantly scared. Am I going to like taste disgusting or I'm going to get food poisoning? And I was like, I'm not going to mess with this. So, but, you know, up your canned fish game is kind of one of my, one of my uh, real recommend, you know, if you're looking, especially young men trying to like kind of put on some muscle, it's just nothing better than like canned wild salmon when it comes to value, nutrition, protein. Um, I had some sardines yesterday. Look I, at this. Pretty good. I know, I know. They're you know, I make this really yummy, a uh, sardine sauce. So I do like a gnocchi and then I do some, uh, uh, like all my pasta, like olive oil, garlic, um, drop in some pine nuts, kind of smear them around in there and then put in a can of sardines. You can also use anchovies. And as they cook down, it's interesting. There's not a lot of fishiness left over. I put in a little tomato paste, lots of oregano, and it's this really kind of rich umami, like really sounds uh, amazing filling sauce is really, really good. Yeah, it's great. one of those dishes I like too. Cause like you can't eat a lot of it. You know what I mean? It's, it's like, it, it's good, but it's really rich in filling. Um, so yeah. Now the other thing I would say, just last tip for young men and just guys start cooking a little bit. It is not hard. Right. And, and the more you cook, the more, I think the more modern masculine power you have, because the more you are able to cook and nourish yourself, one, 
the more you're able to provide for people around you, that's one of the most powerful signals that I think you can send as a man in a community, at least some of my, a lot of my favorite men. My favorite men, I show up at their house and they take care of us, you know, and, and they show us in every way that they love us because they, they're, they're, they're helping out or they're facilitating or a lot of them are cooking themselves. And it's just like, I don't know, I'm sure you all have men in your life that, uh, that you know, that do that. I just think it's a real beautiful thing. Um, I'm not by any means a fancy chef, or, but I, I just think with some few basic skills, you can really take good care of yourself and those around you. And, and it yeah, just- Both of our dads are, are huge cooks in the kitchen. Michael, Jonah's dad's always yeah, shouting something new this. up. My dad wants to take some classes in Italy after he retires. They, they're all about that. And I'm, uh, awesome. Me and Jonah try to take after a little bit too. Well, I mean, that, that's, I mean, that's, uh, you know, I think a lot of times we talk about how masculinity is in such trouble. And then I think there are so many examples uh, all around of men who really, you know, are, are doing it right, you know, and, and are uh, raising men, really nourishing households and, and contributing and nourishing. So, well, gentlemen, I'm going to have a patient come in a few minutes. It's really, uh, I want to just thank you both for this conversation. You got me kind of, uh, I spent a lot of time thinking about men and mental health. I, I want to just plug the Men's Health Magazine Friday Sessions. That's our live Instagram, uh, uh, I guess, show that we do every Friday or every other Friday with Greg Scott Brown, who's another great psychiatrist to, to check out. Um, and we talked with men this week. This week we had this roundtable. We talked to the NBA player, uh, Jimmy Butler, John Batiste, awesome. who's the band leader. We had uh, um, Zach Clark, who's on The Bachelorette, and uh, Corey Richardson, the ad, uh, kind of adventurer and National Geographic photographer. And, you know, I just feel really blessed to be able to speak with men like you and, and those men and, and, and be having conversations around, you know, really encouraging all of us to take good care of our mental health, to really... Um, transcend whatever stigma and, and notions that people have about masculinity that get in our way about that. I really appreciate your questions about substances and drinking. Just 50% of men, lifetime prevalence of substance use disorder, one in two. Wow. So uh, it's just a really important thing for you guys to bring up. And for everybody listening, all you men out there and women, uh, I just want to thank you for your time. I want to encourage you to, if you have some stuff to talk about, start talking about it. There's no reason to wait. Uh, I, I, I see lots of young men in therapy. I always have, I was a young man in therapy once. And, and I, I just think it's a really great process. It doesn't have to be a traditional therapy. It could be a men's group, a pastor at your church, a couple of guys that you share with, but, um, get, get more of that going in your life and it will yield great rewards for you is my prediction. Dr. Ramsey, thank you so much for joining us. It's amazing. Such an illuminating conversation. All right. Well, Truly a pleasure. You keep up the good work and hopefully I'll get to maybe come back and see you again one day. Uh, thanks for all you're doing to uh, take care of male mental health. It's uh, it's very inspiring for an old dog like me to see uh, young guys like you carry it forward. And uh, it really means a lot. So thank you. Absolutely. I right, read. What'd you think? He was very knowledgeable. I mean, obviously he's, he's the medical advisor to men's health. He works at Columbia. He's a licensed and very heavily practiced uh, psychiatrist. So I expected nothing less, but just total knowledge bomb. Very fun guy to, to interact with and a lot of new information that, you know, I don't know if I ever would have considered or known about had, had you not brought him up to my attention. Yeah, 100%. I mean, I I found out about this guy from 
a podcast called Impact Theory that Mark actually turned me on to. And I was listening to Dr. Ramsey talk. It was a no-brainer. Like, what a fascinating topic with respect to how obvious it is. Like, of course, the foods you eat are used from your nutrients. Like, you know, we've like, we've been told our whole lives growing up, like breakfast is the most important meal of the day. Cause like you need, you know, this, this energy from these foods. And it's like, yeah, no right. shit. Like we're like, what is using your energy? It's not like your, it's not like it's your biceps. It's, you know, it's your brain, of course. And man, reading the book, listening to Dr. Ramsey speak about his, his practice, his theory about, I mean, substance abuse, a lot of that resonates with me a ton, having just gone through the, the college ringer of drinking a bunch of light beer. Thank God I love IPAs. Um, but yeah, yeah, I, I just, I'm, I'm super grateful that we have a guest of that, of that caliber really dive in with his expertise to touch on both the, the serious clinically diagnosed uh, issues of depression, anxiety, psychosis, as it relates to marijuana use. And then also, as he said, that a hundred percent of people should take on their mental health could not agree more. Yeah, no doubt. Um, and, you know, aside from that, I think it's just good to kind of keep this stuff in mind, even when a lot of the stuff we talk about, it's more so focused on people who are aware of their mental health, not exactly people who are so much struggling at, at all times. So I think this is a really important thing for both of those demographics, something that can keep you healthy. And, you know, if you are feeling down, it's something that you can uh, bring into your life to kind of get back to the good days. Yeah, definitely. And I just love that. It's so, it's so accessible. I feel like for a lot of young men, it's hard to, you know, it's obviously hard to talk about these issues. It takes a lot of strength and determination and, to, to pursue help, to acknowledge that you have these issues and to act on it, especially. And so to have some solace knowing that you can make some simple tweaks to your snacking and that can change how you feel, I think is, I think is incredible. And, uh, and I, I just love it. Super, super grateful for that advice. And I, uh, I mean, I'm definitely going to be curtailing the, the extracurricular substance indulging. I mean, so many things right now. I mean, I feel my heart and fucking prayers are out for um, the the young man in Chicago who, who went missing last weekend. I was at that bar 20 minutes later. I know it's, it's just crazy. Right, I mean, it's, it's so really sickening and saddening. And the world is a scary place. We live in some very, very privileged and fortunate bubbles. And this just shows that it, this sort of thing can happen to, to anyone and you need to be appreciative and grateful for your, your safety, your family, your friends, and you can't take any, any of that for granted. So miss me with a lot more Catan nights and not more Celeste nights. No doubt. I think that's a, it's a safe play. Um, and quick shout out, Jimmy Buckets, Jimmy Butler. He came up in this podcast. Dude, as well I as, know. Uh, as I was just thinking, maybe I love that he's a staple in the community. Maybe he'll be uh maybe he'll be joining us one time soon. That would be that would be wild. Um anything anything going on in your world, Reed? Not a whole lot. Uh, I just got done with the two, two and a half week stretch of exams and and 
projects, uh, which is pretty nice. So I have a couple more weeks before I got to get back into that absolute lockdown grind mode for uh, exams and all that stuff, which will actually be the end of the semester. This semester went by very fast. Um, and I'm looking forward to, to being home for Thanksgiving in a couple weeks. Get to see you and Nojo. Oh, yeah. My family. Um, yeah, maybe maybe we'll hit a lift at, at East Bank. Um, but yeah, I'm definitely looking forward to, to being home, spending some time with the fam, the puppy. Get to see the shepherd. Yeah, I would love it. Shepherd misses you too. I walked her a couple times today. It was awesome. Uh, me too, man. Life, life is good. Very, very, very happy with where I'm at. People that are surrounding me, kind of where where I'm putting my time and how I'm treating myself. I've been, I've been feeling great. Um, great on, on Halloween, I did some adult trick or treating and it felt awesome. <laughs> I went to, I went to a farmer's market. It was the last, uh, the last day, the Logan square farmer's market was, uh, was I guess out outside and it was super fun, man. Like d- doing some like dedicated, meaningful alone time. That's not just going to the gym or like being on my phone or watching TV was was amazing uh, just being outside getting some got some great nuts like dipped in whiskey is super good best pairs i've ever had i sound like such a fart right now but it was seriously so fun i love so it. funny i had uh, no idea what you were about to say when you said you did some adult trick-or-treating yeah i didn't yeah it's funny. i love it <laughs> um and then pretty good date monday night that was that was oh, awesome yeah. i i'm seeing the new eternals movie tomorrow and I think I'm going to a Shabbat dinner Friday. It's my Deloitte flag football team's last, last game. I got to shout out one of my, one of my teammates. Her name is Sam Zucker. Friend of the show has been texting me a ton lately about um, the, the recent episode. She's a regular viewer. And for all of you peeps listening that I don't necessarily even know if you're regular viewers, it means a lot. Really, really appreciate the feedback and just, the, that, that you all that you all care and find find this take it on to be a meaningful and useful resource i mean it it, it makes it makes my day and i tell that to to every person who who reaches out or just kind of embodies it so sam props to you we'll do chinatown soon and and yeah just i don't know life's good it's fun to take it on hell yeah we love that and this is a little bit of redemption here because I forgot on take 14. But this has been take 15. Me and Jonah are out of here. Deuces. Till next week. Peace out.